Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Floor 9. I'm your host, Ryan Miller, and today we're going to be diving into the IAB annual report on the evolving consumer ecosystem, specifically what the merging of commerce, content, and community on social media means for brands. Joining me today are two experts from the IAB, the executive chair at the IAB, Randall Rothenberg, and VP of Research and Insights, Chris Bruderly. Gentlemen, thank you for being here. Great. It's great to be here, Ryan. It's fantastic to be able to participate with IPG Labs on this. As you know, and I think some in the audience know, we've been doing this research at IEB for almost seven years now. So this is an annual study on brands and brand disruption and the changes in the ecosystem. We've really found definitive evidence over the years of a a pretty massive shift in the way consumer supply chains work end to end Mm. that have shown this kind of massive entrepreneurial growth of challenger brands at the expense of longtime incumbents. The terminology that we use is that we've shifted from an indirect brand economy to a direct brand economy. We've shifted from a consumer economy that dominated over 130 years that was really focused on intermediaries. Brands could not have direct relationships with their end consumers. They were intermediated by publishers, by advertising agencies, and ultimately by physical retail stores themselves. But what's happened is that all the functions, all the enterprise functions that kept brands from relating directly to their customers shifted. So now it's very, very simple for even random individuals sitting in their garages or bedrooms in New York City or New Jersey to be able to source the raw materials, to be able to source the distribution capabilities, to source the manufacturing capabilities, obviously source the marketing and advertising and media capabilities, and ultimately bring their brands directly to the consumers. And there's been a tremendous deleterious impact on incumbents who have spent the better part of 130 years perfecting their ability to work within that indirect brand ecosystem, they're now being challenged by these direct brands. And each year we find evidence of new forms of evolution in this direct brand economy. Randall, thank you for that background. I think it was really helpful to have that level of insight about how this uh, report has evolved over time. But Chris, why don't you talk more specifically about some of the challenges that you've uncovered during your time researching for this report? Yeah, absolutely. We kind of found five key challenges coming out of this research. Number one being consumers essentially now live and thrive in a purpose-driven, rapidly expanding omni-channel ecosystem, that commerce is inherently social, that the definition of brand loyalty has changed, that reduced addressable audience sizes, limited tracking indicators, and increased ad costs, especially on media, is creating huge challenges. Finally, DTCs and incumbents now face their own challenges significantly with supply chain issues, inventory disruption, and inflation. Let me add on to that, Ryan. You know, one of the backdrops to all of this, the reason that these challenges exist, and also they're creating vast new and very unfamiliar opportunities, we call it the, the rise of storelessness. This both predates COVID and was accelerated by COVID. The fact is, and we shouldn't be distracted by the fact that we're coming out of the pandemic and people are going back to stores. The fact Mm. is that every year since 2017, long predated the pandemic, the net number of stores in the United States closing has exceeded the number of new stores opening. 
by a lot, by thousands of stores a year. So what it means is more and more people are getting their goods and their services, of course, in digital retail environments. The shelf space in those digital retail environments is vastly larger than the collective shelf space in physical retail stores. More people have more access to more different goods and services, more different brands than ever before. And that is changing the nature of marketing, communications, production, distribution, you name it. Yeah, no, I love this concept of storelessness. I think one of the key insights that I took away from your report was that direct sales on social networks hit an astounding $36.6 billion in 2022, and is slated to hit $80 billion by 2025. What do you think is the primary driver of this traffic through social media? Is it these new formats? Is it this closing of brick and mortar? Is it an amalgamation of all these different factors that we're uncovering in this research and reporting? You want me to start with a controversial headline, Chris? Go ahead, man. Social is to today's consumers what television was to consumers in the 1950s and 1960s and 1970s, Hmm. what radio was to consumers in the decades before that. It is the primary medium by which people entertain themselves, pass their time, and learn about things. Once you say that, you then start going into kind of Alice's rabbit hole because it leads to all kinds of other realities. I'll give you one that I like. There are currently in the United States, eight cable television networks that have average daily ratings of 1 million or more households. There are 20,000 YouTube channels with more than a million subscribers each. And the largest ones dwarf by leaps and bounds, the largest television networks. When you talk about the rise of creators and influencers, the number of channels for learning about products and services, let alone marketing those products and services, is orders of magnitude greater than it has ever been. So there's just one thing. And then when you tie into that, the frenzy among the largest social platforms to introduce direct shopping on those platforms. Well, in effect, you've got a one-stop shop for entertainment, discovery, buying, and fulfillment of the buy. Yeah. So it sounds like we're really starting to shorten that funnel to you know, almost inches and seconds at this point. Do you think that some of this new technology that's emerged across these social media platforms that are allowing us to, you know, instantly check out is ultimately changing consumers' mindset to move into this more on-demand and instant gratification space? It absolutely is happening. I think what'll be interesting to see how these instantaneous purchases will go beyond small purchases, such as packaged goods, buying things off social, buying t-shirts and swag, if you will, off of social platforms, which is a small, quick purchase. I I buy t-shirts and sneakers and stuff off social all the time. What'll be interesting to see is if that starts to become bigger, higher ticket item purchases. I would think that yes, in the future, that'll certainly happen as we all as a community get more comfortable with social shopping. But you can't forget about like what's powering this, right? Like the ability to actually deliver these products so quickly. You know, we had the the rise of the on-demand economy that's been around for a couple of years, but really took off over the last two years, you know, led by companies like GoPuff and places like that, where you can just get these products delivered within under a half hour within minutes. So 
the rise of dark stores, you know, essentially grocery stores, department stores, creating locations just to be able to deliver goods within a certain proximity and incredibly fast. There was dark kitchens. Now there's dark stores. So you have to have the front end, but you have to have the back end. And we're really starting to get good at both of those. Yeah. So we're talking about those developments on the back end that are really facilitating the instant gratification economy. But from a strategic perspective, how is this new way of selling to the consumer shifting how we go to market and ultimately sell our goods? Are we leaning more into influencers because they're native to these environments? Or is it more about harnessing the power of the technologies that each of these unique platforms afford us? I'd lean more towards the former than the latter. I think that while there are differences clearly among the platforms, Snap is very different than TikTok, for example. I think you need to look at the bigger picture. The bigger picture is that marketing is at one and the same time growing much more intimate and much more fragmented and complex. One of the things that we found that actually shocked me during the most recent research, we found that 80% of marketers in the US, eight out of 10, are directly using social influencers. But even more shocking to me, I don't think either Chris or I were expecting this, the biggest growth in the use of influencers by brands are in what we term nano-influencers and micro-influencers. Micro-influencers are those who have between 10,000 and 100,000 followers. Nano-influencers, 1,000 to 10,000 followers. So there was between 45 and 50% growth in the use of those small influencers. Well, when you think of the size of a YouTube or a Snap or a TikTok or a Facebook or an Instagram, and you realize that creators and influencers with followership as low as a thousand people are getting advertising from brands, you're talking literally millions of channels are now available for brand marketing, brand advertising, brand entertainment, and ultimately fulfillment as well, actual buying. Again, it's a dramatic change in intimacy, that ability to get closer and closer to the end consumer, but it comes along with a pretty dramatic increase in complexity as well. I agree 100%. I just want to add to that, that TikTok said in their new front presentation last week, communities are the new demographics. So their creative Hmm. communities are the new demographics, right? So what does that mean? What that means is that a creator creates such a connection, close connection with their follower base. What unites all those people is that connection and that pursuit and how it makes them feel. And that's more important than carving up people by 18 to 34 versus 35 to 54. How about just a 30-year-old and a 40-year-old really being into the same stuff and being touched the same way by the same person? That's how you sell products. That's how you can effectively sell products right now. Ryan, one way for listeners, especially those who've been in the field for a long time to assimilate this, they might remember back to the 70s and the 80s and the rise of things like the uh, VALS research, values, attitudes, lifestyles, and the ability then to do literally block by block analyses of what demographics and psychodemographics. But what TikTok was saying and what our own research has uncovered is that merging of values, attitudes, and lifestyles on top of physical geographies. Well, those physical geographies are moving from physical geographic space into 
digital geographic spaces. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's the idea that Casey Newton representing, in effect, a demographic and a psychographic is the way to think of it in the same way that we used to think of Seinfeld representing a demographic and a psychographic. That's yep. what's shifting here. Yeah, I think there's a, a ton of interesting insights to unpack there. First, on those nano creators, I'm sure you guys have plenty evidence to prove that the click-through rates and the engagement amongst that subset of creators is actually much higher than what you actually see at the premium or established here. People in those 10,000 to a million concurrent viewers and followers and subscribers across those channels. Another thing that you keyed in on was this concept of community they think is super important across these social sites right now. Acclaimed pundit Matthew Ball famously said that people come for content and then stay for the community. So to your point, whether it's a Seinfeld fan group or an Arsenal fandom supporters club, I think that is a new way that we can ultimately target people. But what I want to know from you guys is that we talked about some of these digital places and third places that people are coming together to unite. Where do you see the most traction being made by brands in these digital communities? organizing ecosystems? It's a good question. It's hard to be categorical about it at this point because everything hmm. seems to be evolving Fair. on a daily basis. It kind of obviously the largest platforms with the most diverse creator and influencer bases are the ones that are experiencing the greatest traction among marketers, large and small. And we're still talking social media, not metaverse, right? Yeah, because the, yes. the meta metaverse is still a work in progress, still an experiment. Nobody's exactly sure where it's going to go. That said, I think just to do a little digression here, we can see the potential in the metaverse, obviously, in gaming, because that is the, the entry point to the metaverse. And I would even argue that you can look at a video service like Twitch as being the front door of the metaverse as it's been envisioned. But that's for another podcast and another time. <laughs> yeah. you know, right now, I think the reality is billions of people around the world, literally billions of people around the world are on these large social platforms. And those platforms are becoming centers of their lived lives. That's where I would look to see the more transcendent trends. And rather than look at the marginal differences among the platforms, I think the important thing to note is just, again, you can't overstate it. The number of channels that are used by consumers numbers in the hundreds of millions. The number of channels that have large followerships, larger than what we're accustomed to on television, you know, runs into the tens of thousands and potentially the hundreds of thousands. It is truly revolutionary. And one of the provocations, Chris, that you raised at the top is about brand loyalty. And knowing that we're moving at the speed of light today and that making sure we can cater to this instant gratification consumer set how do you as a brand stay ahead of that challenge and ultimately future-proof your business to ensure that you can deliver? You know, one of the ways that brands are retaining loyalty is by building strong loyalty programs. It seems like a stupid thing to say, but it's absolutely true. I was reading an article yesterday about McDonald's. They debuted their rewards program last year. They have 26 million active users. It's nine months since debut. Their digital sales topped $5 billion. It's now like almost a third of their sales. And that's an increase of 60% year over year. They've got 26 million people 
in their loyalty program, who they have a direct connection with, who are going to keep coming back, not only because they're getting rewards and deals, because that also plugs them into the delivery platforms that McDonald's is tied into. So it's like, I got you connected by the heartstrings and I got you connected by being able to deliver directly to you, right? That's how you fight loyalty. Randall is an expert when it comes to the CPG space. He can comment on that happens. But I look at what some of these major retailers, especially the QSRs are doing from a loyalty standpoint, and even like the Nikes of the world, that's how they're retaining loyalty. And that's an interesting point. And before I go to you, Randall, I'm just curious, is there a category that makes more sense for this social selling environment? Or should all brands be conscious about how they market on these platforms in order to ensure they're not getting left behind? Quite clearly, fashion has yeah. always been mm-hmm. kind of the center. And fashion, always by definition, is the leading edge of everything else. <laughs> what, what's fashionable in fashion today will become the fashion for everybody else tomorrow. You know, the notion of a kind of community organizing around types of fashion and fashion trends is as old as shopping itself. The fact that that can now be facilitated virtually and not just virtually, but while you're on the road, while you're walking down the street with your mobile phone, communicating with groups of your friends, you know, and inject kind of marketing and selling into that is now almost second nature. So I would look to fashion as the the fashion leader for what will be fashionable in all of marketing and retailing tomorrow. I'm curious, having heard both of you, you know, speak on this for the last 20 minutes or so, if you can offer some advice onto brands, how to best prepare and engage over the next year across these social spaces, what are the steps they need to be taking in order to ensure they're well-equipped to do whatever social commerce experiences may unveil themselves in the next two, three, five years? One straightforward one, but it's very difficult for large brands, as much as it is second nature for digital native brands, is you can't just be dependent on one-way main media advertising. You have to be in the mix. You have to be leveraging the creator economy and the influencer economy on these platforms and other platforms. And there's some great examples. I mean, fantastic examples of big brands that are doing it. In our report this year, we noted several trends, you know, for example, the companies bringing influencers literally and physically inside their walls. West Elm launched ambassador program it calls the collective. That allows both design professionals and social influencers to build their own West Elm shops with curated product lists and designs. So there are a lot of retailers are doing exactly that kind of thing. So that's a, a smart example of how to do it. Express has its Express Community Commerce Program, and it's similar. It's a curation program that pays well-known influencers, and they could be micros and nanos, to curate products. They get paid for that, and then they, of course, market mm-hmm. their curated lists. So I think things like that, you know, finding active ways to engage creators and influencers in both the life of your brand, not just as, as marketing shills, but as people who are actually creating or co-creating things with you is very, very important. And then Chris, on your end, is there any data that points to any trends that we should be taking heed of as brand advertisers? Well, one of the things that we have been talking about the last couple of years at the IAB is the leveraging of first-party data. Have that create a direct connection with your shoppers, your consumers, or those that you want to acquire that are new. 
have a direct connection with them and leverage that first party data, learn about them and know them, and then personalize your messaging to them. And that'll help get feedback from them. The direct consumer brands have been doing this for years. They have a direct connection with their customers. They get feedback from them. They personalize based on that data. And then the messaging and the product is more personal, is more in line with what the person wants. And it's a win-win going both ways. So the first party data is absolutely core to surviving moving forward. And the other thing I would say is really think about what your brand is about and how it differentiates Hmm. itself. People can see through the BS. You know, and I have a 13-year-old at home. You know, that generation, they see through BS from a mile away. You have to be able to understand what your brand is, what it's about, who your consumer is, and communicate in a clear, honest way and give them value. You do those things. And then I think all the blocking and tackling of executing you know, media plans and being across different channels, that's all table stakes. Having a diverse media mix is table stakes. Testing and learning is table stakes. But look in the mirror first as a brand, then execute those things. Again, we have to come back to the issue of storelessness. In the old days, which is everything up until about 10 years ago, you had no (laughs) choice, largely, if you wanted to buy something, anything, other than to go into a store, because it was really the only way you can buy things. Now it's very, very easy to avoid stores. Not only that, it's very, very easy to avoid network television. So the two primary ways that we learned about brands in the past are no longer necessary for the way people leave their consuming lives. So when Chris says, you know, you need to be authentic, you need to stand for something, you need to be differentiated. Well, the reason is because in the old days, maybe it didn't matter so much because people had no choice. If you were one of only three brands on the shelf in your local store for toothpaste, you were going to get bought regardless of whether they approved of your values or not. Today, if they don't approve of your values, they can bypass the stores, they can bypass the media, they can find other alternatives. That was not possible up until about 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah, no, that concept of storelessness is definitely one that is key. And both of your points, that relationship with the consumer has become much more intimate. And I think everyone's hashtag ad glasses are a lot more sharper than they used to be as well. As we as we crawl into the last minute here, I just wanted to ask you guys a quick yes, no question. Would you say is social commerce essential to building a direct brand strategy going forward? Yeah, yeah, I mean, certainly. <laughs> yes. It's not that main media are dead or dying, they're just evolving. People will learn about things from main media the way they have in the past. It's just that in the past, that was the only game in town. And now there are at least 30 or 40 games in town. To answer your question, I would say yes, and agree 100% with what Randall just said. That will do it here for us at Floor 9. Thank you very much to Randall Rothenberg and Chris Brutally from the IAB for joining us this afternoon to take us through the convergence of commerce, culture, and community and what impacts that has for brands in the social media and social commerce space. If you're interested in chatting further with our guests, you can find Randall on Twitter at R2Rothenberg and Chris at CBruti, or reach out to either of them on LinkedIn. If you're looking to learn more about the IAB, you can do so at their website, iab.com, or on Twitter, at the IAB. 
As ever, you can find The Lab on Twitter, at IPG Lab, or read more about how emergent technology is shaping the consumer landscape at medium.com backslash IPG Media Lab. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, bye-bye.